Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we do come before you and we are amazed at your presence, O Lord. We are amazed at your incredible love for us. That you would, Father, you would send your Son into the world to save sinners without um, discrimination. You came to save, even as we have seen these last weeks, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, and even today, Christ comes with arms wide open to come and welcome in sinners. And so we, we condemn uh, the racism uh, that has been witnessed and, um, and seen in various ways in our nation and pray, Father, um, that the gospel, even as we prayed a moment ago, would go out. And even now, that as whoever is taking part in this service right now uh, via live stream, wherever they are, that they would see their own need for Christ, whether believer or unbeliever, presently their hope would be in this one Savior, that their vision, He would be our vision, He would be our rock. And so help us, Father, as we go to your word, help us and give us grace, that your spirit work in our hearts and our minds as we see the love of Christ displayed. May we um, then go and live out the love of Christ to those around us. And so help us, Father. You help us to understand, see, receive, and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we continue in the Gospel of John. And with all sincerity, you know, I can think of, well, I cannot think of, a better thing to do than to press on, on in this Gospel even after the events of this week. We are desperately in need, not of false hopes, nor of false Christs, nor of a hopeless hope from the world, but we need the true, lasting, enduring, and sure hope that is found in Christ, and Christ alone, and we need these truths set before us plainly, even as we see it set forth so plainly here in the Gospel of John, and we need Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. And this is, this is no abstract answer to everything going on in our world, but it is God's sure word for the world, this very moment. It wasn't that we just simply say, well, yeah, Jesus came and died on the cross and all, but He is really not sufficient for everything else. He is the one who came into the world to come and save any and all. And so God is saying, see the depths of your depravity in all this and see the depths of your need for the Savior in all this. 
And so I hope your hope will not be moved toward someone or something else this morning, but toward Christ and Christ alone. As we have been progressing through the Gospel of John, I mean, has that not been what we have seen? We have seen Christ exalted and Christ made much of. And we'll continue to see that. We've wondered at Christ. We have adored Christ. We have worshipped Christ. And we have seen His abundant mercy and grace set forth again and again toward unworthy sinners. You and me. All of us. Incredible. And, you know, we saw that as well just over these last few weeks. As we walk through John chapter 4 with a Samaritan woman and the many who believed from her testimony along thereafter with having heard from Christ where they say the Samaritans, they then go and tell the Samaritan woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And He is. So it's no... It's no sidestep to say, we need Jesus, America. (laughs) You need Jesus. And this morning then, we continue to lift up the name of Christ by continuing on then into John chapter 4 and the final verses of this chapter. So John chapter 4, verse 43 through 54 well, here we find Jesus, uh, he, he heals the official son, and he also brings a challenge to unbelief. And so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, will you turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 43, and I'll read to the end of the chapter here. So may God bless his inerrant and sure word this morning. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. And so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, There was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. 
And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So following the time with the Samaritans, which we just came out from, having witnessed all the results of the conversation between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, and then Jesus saying, I have food to eat that you do not know about, and then how the many Samaritans came and believed in Christ. So following all this, Jesus, he now continues on toward the destination that he set out for in John chapter 4, verse 3. And so he's setting back on track to Galilee. So now we could have continued here. So as I was reading these verses, we could have continued and maybe you missed it. But it would have been easy to miss it. But we could have kept reading without verse 44, right? And it would have seemed rather neat and nice, you know, the, it would, and the narrative would have, you know, fit together nicely, no parenthetical thought to interrupt, okay, you know, uh, he departed for Galilee, and when he came there, the Galileans welcomed him. Praise the Lord. Yet, if we did that, if we take out verse 44, we wouldn't be taking into account all of this passage, and we really wouldn't be getting at what this passage is getting at. So as John does, he provides the statement there in verse 44. And we've seen this before in John, but it seems out of place. But it's not. John, he is not someone who accidentally inserts phrases here and there. um, Nor does the ultimate divine author make accidents in what is in Scripture. He does not make mistakes, nor does he err. So... Taken by itself, though, it may seem odd, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So all would have been well if we had just read on about how they welcomed him, right? Well, that is just the point. This precedes, this verse precedes their welcoming him because it's asking us to think more clearly about what lies ahead. It's even informing what lies ahead. So without this phrase, you know, we may have said, well, praise God, they welcomed him. All is well. I mean, even the Galileans, they welcomed Jesus. But we're not supposed to respond that way. Here we see just how complex and slippery our sin nature is. I mean, if we have not Seen that enough this week as well. Even a welcome like this, it carries behind it, and these people carry behind them and their back crossed fingers. And so we see here first guises of belief. Not guises of unbelief, but guises of belief. So the people, they welcomed him, but they didn't welcome him. They're welcoming. It was a smiling deception in their own hearts. So how do I know that? Why do we? Why would we say that this is a, 
guise of belief? Well, there are two reasons. First, I've already given one, the interjection by John. He's intentionally trying to get us to say, you see, they're welcome here. It's not what it seems. (laughs) A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And so Jesus, he was from Galilee. And so is his stomping grounds. He is is not entering Galilee, though, expectant of acceptance. Even, perhaps, he's expecting opposition. So that's one reason why we see the welcome is not as it seems. The second reason is with aligning these Galileans with those who we saw in John chapter 2. So if you remember there, we saw there, these were those who also had saw Jesus at the feast in Jerusalem. So it connects their welcome to John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. And there we saw a fearful thing. We saw a belief without belief. So let me read these verses. John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then verse 45 ends, making the connection between the two. The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So here, the Galileans are welcoming Jesus with a smiling deception. They believed Because of his signs, but not because of him. Now, just think about that. There is a a category of believing in Jesus without, or at least kind of believing around Jesus and not actually believing in him. So they had seen all that he had done, whatever signs and wonders and miracles, but they had missed him. I mean, what a fearful thought that you can... You can see all these things, even come to church every Sunday or visit online. And you can totally miss Jesus. You can be amazed at everything else. You can be amazed at even how preachers, they can come and they can say very uh, incredible things, insightful things of what Scripture says. Oh, wow, look what they found here. But then you're more amazed at that than Jesus. And so, these people, they saw Jesus and they thought, Oh, look, it's Jesus again. Let's see if he'll he'll do another miracle. Let's see if he can do another trick for us. And we are especially tempted to this in a consumeristic society as well. Where from birth to the very point we are raised, being taught, From every direction, you are defined by what you have, what you possess, what you consume. And it's not just that those things that we have, we are to go out and consume them and have them, but they begin identifying, we begin being defined by them. 
they begin defining who we are such that when we lose them, we lose ourselves because our identity was so closely tied with these things. So what, in the end, we are here so terribly tempted to make an idol of pleasing ourselves that we would instead come to Jesus because of all the other things around him instead of Jesus himself. And so our faith may may be well looking to Jesus, not because of him, but because of his signs and wonders, which isn't all that different from what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. Say what pleases me. Let, tell me what I want to hear. Don't, don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't, don't confront anything in my own life. Just, just make me feel better about myself. Is that different from pursuing signs and wonders? But Jesus, he wants us to truly and really come to Him. He is the one in whom we are to trust. And so, trust Christ because of Christ. Trust Christ because of Christ. As we have progressed through this gospel, you know, again and again, what have we seen? We've seen all lights are upon Jesus. And whether a believer or unbeliever, we are called to take hold of Christ. We aren't to miss Him as we read this gospel. He is the only sure rock under which we are to take cover and upon which we are to stand. And that includes days such as these. Isaiah 26, it says of God, He is an everlasting rock. That is not a rock you're going to move, no matter what's going on around you. We are to trust Christ because of Christ. There's a story told of Augustus' top lady in England, in the village of Blagdon, a road there. It travels through a deep ravine where there is a giant, 100-foot-tall, gray rock So in this rock is a cleft which forms something of a cave. Well, one day in 1762, Top Lady was overtaken by a thunderstorm and he runs to this rock and he runs into the cleft of the rock for cover. And while he was there, he reflected on the passage I just quoted from Isaiah 26, 4, which read, Trust ye in the Lord forever. For the Lord is a rock of ages, or everlasting rock. And there he, with a piece of paper, he wrote the first words of the hymn, Rock of Ages, which we just sang a moment ago. Well, Jesus is the rock of ages. Thou must save, and thou alone. And we mean that. 
He is the one we hope in. He is the one you are to hope in. Trust Christ because of Christ. Oh, how a thousand things may pull at us, but we are only safe in Him. We are only safe in Christ, in Christ alone. You may be pulled by many things. Your heart may seek to wrangle and wiggle you from Him, but let Him be your trust. Let Him be your everlasting rock. And He does not fail. Even when our hearts are broken, even when we are rightly lamenting, even when all around us and before us are just dark clouds, it seems He is the light of the world. And he is the light that dwells within his children. My spirit. And to further here as we continue in these verses to further contrast belief versus guises of belief. We are given here this true account of this official from Capernaum. So more accurately, this word here for official is royal Official. Well, why does that matter? Well, he, he was in service of royalty, or more specifically, of Herod Antipas, who was the Tetrarch from 4 BC to 3 to 39 AD. Why does that matter? Well, whether we don't know if this man, he was a Jew or a Gentile, but we know that he was part and parcel to a royal court that was wicked. And so... Very similar to the Samaritan woman, now we have this royal official who's coming in the midst of his need to Jesus. And so the question is, well, how, how is Jesus going to receive this man? Well, let's find out. So what follows here is the exposing of unbelief. The exposing of unbelief. Now, here I was, I was kind of debating on whether to make this point testing of belief, because there is that aspect as well with him specifically. Like he's coming. I mean, will you really believe in me? And we'll see this in a moment. But we know for sure that Jesus is exposing unbelief, and especially guises or garbs of unbelief. So we can understand this man's desperation, though, as we see him come And he was surely desperate. I mean, you don't travel 16 miles in Jesus' day for nothing. You know, like I'm just going to go here and see, you know, uh, what's going on in Galilee. I mean, that's that's not what you do. You have reason. His son was sick such that without aid, his son was going to die. And the man, he had likely heard of Jesus somewhere from someone. He heard that he was doing some incredible things. And here was someone who might, just maybe, might be able to help his son. And so, the man would go and find out if he can. And so he goes and he's, he's not coming though for Jesus, is he? But what Jesus can do for him. You can imagine the man's 
demeanor, though, in desperation here. So I read this and I think if my own son or daughter were in a situation like this, I mean, I have uh, alarms and emergency kind of signals going off on my head. I need to find a way to help my son or daughter get better as, as fast as I can. I don't want them to die. And so you, you understand his desperation here. And, and this is not dismissing or making light of his desperation here. And so he comes with a depth of anguish, a feeling of helplessness. I mean, your son is sick and there is nothing you can do to help him. The child that he had raised, he had loved and cared for, now is on the brink of death. And so he wants to help him, but his hands can't heal this. What will be of my son? What can I do to save him? This man, maybe, I don't know anything about him, but maybe he can help. I'll go, whatever distance it is, and I'll seek him out. Perhaps he can save my son. And I don't know if, if really any of us would have issue with that. I mean, I, right? I mean, we, we, we would do the same thing. I mean, possibly if there's someone who legitimately can do something, we're going to seek them out. But Jesus, as we know and we've already seen, he knows men's and women's hearts. He sees this man's heart and he knows the greater need. And he tells him and the people, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the you here, it's plural. So he wasn't just addressing the man, he was addressing everyone present. And so Jesus rebukes them and he rebukes this man and he even tests him. Will you believe? So how... How hard rebukes hard to hear. I mean, how quickly we revolt and we rear up against them, right? But see here and see always that, and this is important. I mean, you, how important this is in the body of Christ, how important this is in your marriage, how important this is in, in so many areas of our life. See always that Jesus' rebukes are always merciful rebukes. They're calling us to Him. They feel like a punch in the face, but they're good. In your marriage, in the church, and everywhere. They're rods to kiss because they're good for us. Like spiritual medicine for the soul. So as Psalm says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. And so, as hard as it is, You and I, believer and unbeliever, are called to receive his rebukes. And this rebuke, it turns in two directions. It's a rebuke for the unbeliever. That's one. 
So the Galileans, they gladly welcomed him, longing to see him do another trick and to entertain them. Let's see what Jesus is going to do now. But Jesus, he is not after tricks. His miracles and his works are always done with purpose. Jesus does not desire you to be entertained at his miracles. He wants you. He wants them. Galileans, you're getting it all wrong. You don't need these signs and miracles. That's not what you need to see. You need me. That's what Jesus is saying. They don't, they don't get it. And he surely did miracles. We see that and say that he surely did wonders. And yes, his teachings were profound and profoundly true. And yes, he was perfect in every way. Yet each of these are intended to point you not to those things in and of themselves, but to him who is the Savior. And the man was desperate for his son. But Christ, he came and he took on flesh, condescending out of deep love for lost and broken sinners, which is still true today. And is that not a death cry to racism, to anything that undermines those who are made in the image of God? And so this is what he's doing here with the crowd and with the man here and with you. He's saying, you may have been amazed by me from a distance, but will you not believe in me? And if you're listening to this and you don't know Christ, he's saying that directly to you. Will you not believe in me? This is also, second, a call for believers to consider their faith. So as the people and the man are being called to faith here, we are no less being called to hold fast to faith. So there's an idea out there, and you've heard it. If you've been in the church, you've heard it. That saving faith is a one-time event. And there are many people who are going to hell right now because of that. You can have it in a moment, and you can go thee therefore and have faith no more. That's not, that's not what the Bible presents those who know Christ. I mean, once, once a believer, once someone has Christ, they want more of Christ. They want to become more like Christ. They found this treasure in a field and they're willing to sell everything that they may have Him. And it's worth it. He's worth it. So know from beginning, when you put your faith in Christ, into eternity, Christ is ours. And Jesus is to be lifted up and exalted in our hearts and our lives and above all else. And so, in other words, are you presently trusting Christ? You want to you know and answer the question whether that way back then, if that was true? Ask that question of yourself. Are you presently trusting Christ? That will tell you a lot more than that 
event way back then. Let your faith press on in Him and let your faith daily be set steadfastly upon Christ. So the seas, they may roar and the earth may shake even as we are seeing even now. And the birth pains may be felt even as we're feeling now. But Christ is the sure and steady anchor of our soul. Always. So is he? Even now, even after this week, even in this moment, even now, is he? Pray this. Pray that he would be. Even now, look to him and trust in him. He is sufficient. And here, this second sign, it is not intended to make the people look at him and go, ooh, and awe at what he's done, but to cause them and us to recognize the greater healing that Jesus brings. The man, he believed Jesus' word, and he went back. So this isn't necessarily like belief in Jesus yet. He believed what he had said. And so as he went, his servants, you know, they, they come and meet him on the way. And they confirm that his son was made well at the seventh hour, at the very hour, one o'clock p.m., that Jesus had said, go, your son will live. And it was done. Here, Jesus, he would not... He would not travel 16 miles over the rugged terrain. He wouldn't go and enter the man's house. He wouldn't go to the child himself. But he would simply heal the boy even without a word. He didn't say, let him be healed. All he says is, go and your son will live. And it's done. And the man believed and his whole household. People that you would not expect to believe. The Samaritan woman, and now this royal official. And Herod Antipas' court. So they believe. And this man, he was not merely a sign and wonders seeker, But he was a desperate man seeking desperate answers. And he not only found his son well, but he believed in the one the sign pointed to. And now he is well. And though now we await the day when we will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And when our broken bodies will be broken no more. We will no longer be in this broken world Our day has not yet come. But it will. It will come. And there's no doubt. So for now, though, we must trust in Him who made our bodies. He made our hearts. Him who made our souls. Him who came for us. And so we must train our hearts to trust Christ. We must train our hearts to trust Christ. So the man and his son, do you think they're still alive today? Well, no. 
they're no longer here. They, his son was healed, but is that, is that really all that he needed? Was that physical? That's, again, why we need to see that any things like these, they are always directing us to Jesus Christ. The need for Jesus. Eventually, their bodies did falter. And if you're a child listening to this, you may feel pretty invincible right now, or a teenager, or whoever you are. One day, too, Lord willing, you will grow older. My body will age. And our faculties, all of us, unless Christ returns before then, or Lord forbid, we meet Christ earlier than that, our faculties will grow dim. And even, perhaps, for some, it may be lost. I mean, there are so many ways that we can trust in other things besides Christ. Our hope and trust is not to be in this body. He came to bring about the greater healing. It is not to be in this body, nor this world, nor its things. And you know, I say this partly for myself. (laughs) You know, I'm a preacher of the gospel. So what will be of my preaching if I lose my faculties? If I can no longer think? What if my mind and abilities are hindered to such a point that I can no longer preach or teach or something else or may barely be able to do you know, very much at all? Is my hope in Christ in such a way now and increasingly so that in the years to come that if these things happen to me Andrew records life is not over because Christ lives my faculties are gone but my trust in Christ is not gone because my hope was not in this body that will falter I still have a hope beyond this decaying body, beyond the transitory things of this world. And do you? Are you? Are you building a trust in your heart that is so attached to Jesus that even if your health goes downhill, you're not undone? Now, I'm not saying we don't lament that, We don't feel the brokenness of that. But you still, even then, though our bodies falter and fill now, we still trust Him. So friends, this is a call to train our hearts to trust and grow in trusting Christ and to spur others to trust in Him as well. So believe in this man He came for his son to be healed and he got much more. And today maybe you came not knowing what you were coming for, but you need much more as well. You need Christ and may you lay hold of him this morning and may may he be like that treasure in the field. You're willing to give up anything and everything for Christ to trust him and have life through him. May he be our vision. And to quote 
the song that we sung a moment ago. High King of Heaven, my victory won. My, may I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, we, we see that every one of us are drinking from a fountain of living water. Even now, those who know you, and we thank you for saving sinners such as us, we, we see and we admit and we realize you didn't have to do any of this but you did you came for such as me and such as us and we thank you Jesus for coming and bearing the full weight of my sin upon yourself and our sin upon yourself and so Father we come before you and we pray now that you would help us as we have heard your word. Help us examine our hearts and our minds and receive the rebukes. Receive the call to respond. If there's anyone here um, who doesn't know Christ, that they would trust in Christ this morning. They wouldn't continue on the track of that they've been going on and they wouldn't continue to think that they'll find in the world what can only be found in Christ. So, Father, we pray for your hand and we ask now that you would help us, Lord, and be with all of us to think and respond to your word as we sing this next song for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.